say, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, our God is worthy to be praised. The fact that you're here this morning, he is worthy to be praised. He kept you yet another week's journey. He's worthy to be praised. He put food on your table and clothes on your back. He's worthy to be praised. We serve a good God, a faithful God, who loves and cares for us, who has our very best interests at heart. When we want to go left, he brings us back right. When we want to act the fool sometimes, he, he puts the restraints on us and, and keeps us in our right mind. Praise God. He's worthy of our praise and worthy of our gratitude and, and worthy of our adoration this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise God for our choir this morning. We do give God praise for setting the atmosphere, preparing our hearts. I know my wife's going to look at me like I'm crazy. Like, you trying to sing? Got caught up in the spirit. You just do stuff sometimes. Praise God. Indeed, it is a privilege and honor to be in the house of the, the saints, house of God, one more time. If you have your Bibles with you in your hand, in a pew, in a chair in front of you on your phone, Bring that up. Let's look at Proverbs, the third chapter this morning. Proverbs, the third chapter. And as you do, I want you to consider the best decision you ever made. The wisest decision you ever made. I want you to consider that for a moment. I mean, you just nailed it. You got it right. I mean, you look back and you kind of pop your color like Colin, like I did that. Consider the best moment of your life because of a decision that you made. And you know, even when we consider our best, that is nothing compared to God. There are so many times in our lives where we think we just know what we're really doing only to look back to see what a major failure we had just fallen into. And we consider just how bad it could have been had it not been for the Lord. As you know, before us we have the word of God, which is completely truthful and, and all its assertions without error in matters of theology and faith, and it contains everything we need for life and godliness. And you know how we do uh, sometimes. We are a people who sit up under the authority of the word of God. We live by this. We need to breathe this. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Proverbs, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your Heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves 
as a father, the son in whom he delights. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I'd like to put a tag on the text this morning. Wave the white flag. Wave the white flag. Let us go before our most holy God in prayer. O Father, Abba Father, Heavenly Father, God of the universe, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, most preeminent, most precious God. We come before your mighty throne of grace this morning, Father, in desperate need of you. For we are a lowly people, Lord, ignorant to just how good and righteous and holy you are. And Father, even now, as we are so poor and needy, we ask that you will fill our cup and may you be our portion right now in the name of Jesus. That your Holy Spirit will come and anoint this place and set our hearts ablaze for Jesus. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear that our hearts may be moved and that we will be changed, transformed, to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, by the preaching of your word. Father, even now, as the issues of life are swirling about our, bra- our brain, Lord, may you give us rest and peace even now, just because you can. Father, may you give us a glimpse of your, your majesty, just how splendid and spectacular you are, Lord. Show us your glory. Father, we ask that you would show up in this place and and use your word to transform broken people so that we may live out the call that you have on our lives to be light in a dark and dimly lit world. Father, may you increase right now and may we decrease. May we sit at the feet of Jesus this morning and hear from you. Lord, may you give me holy unction. May I get out of the way of what you will have to say to your people. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 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 You know, in times of war, the waving of the white flag is, is, is internationally symbolic of someone who wants to... Uh, propose a ceasefire or some type of truce is in the midst of a conflict, the white flag is, is normally raised to signify a, that someone wants to surrender. And though no actual report of this was made during this particular war, there was a, a situation sort of like this during the America's second armed conflict in Iraq. It was widely reported in the media that that as the U.S.-led invasion was approaching the southern border of Iraq, heading to a town named Basra, that an entire Iraqi infantry division surrendered to the advancing Americans. Though it's not actually known how many surrendered, there will be normally some 8,000 to 10,000 troops in a Iraqi division. Many said that this this surrender was actually not a surprise for this division of ragtag draftees were poorly fed, suffering from poor morale. They received little pay and was meagerly equipped for the task they had been given. See, I believe that in seeing the overwhelmingly superior forces make their way towards them, the Iraqi 51st Mechanized Infantry Division made the only wise choice that they could at that moment, and that was to surrender and live. Waving the proverbial white flag was their only hope for peace. 
See, I, I, I find this quite ironic that in the midst of an active military conflict, a unilateral surrender was the only way to receive peace. And, and though you may not be in the midst of an active military campaign this morning, uh, there may still be a level of opposition in your life. A level of difficulty and despair, a, a level of discontentment and disenfranchisement that when you add it up, it feels like you have woken up in the midst of an active military conflict. This morning, we find ourselves at a paradoxical crossroad that the only way to receive peace is to actually surrender to the very aggressor who is increasing the level of conflict in the first place. What do I mean? What do I mean? I'm referring to the fact that because God loves his children so much that he is willing to, to orchestrate situations and circumstances in your life to where that you can't take it anymore. And, and the only way for you to receive peace is to actually surrender. He's willing to apply just enough pressure for you to cry out mercy. I give up. Praise God that he is in the business of taking hard-headed people and breaking them. God wants us to give up our battle for independence and to receive a peace that passes all understanding rooted in dependence on him because because God offers peace to those who depend on him. This is the heart of the surrender life of God. Surrender is at the heart of dependence. This is This is what I believe that that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through King Solomon, wants to teach us in this passage of Scripture this morning. This is a a familiar passage of Scripture. And for many of those who grew up in the church, just to say Proverbs 3.5, we immediately are evoked to remember much about this Scripture. This, this godly wisdom is, is, is passed out from the pulpit or is passed out from that godly grandma you got. Baby, trust in the Lord. Always reminding you what you need to do. But however, for many, this passage has become a mere platitude uh, uh, quoted at, at graduation open houses. This, this, this deeply comforting passage of scripture has become therapeutic moralistic, a superstitious phrase given only a wink and a nod to God. It's become a moral statement that actually gives approval to the recipient's selfish way of living. Because when we hear, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. See, we hear the part that my path of life, I just need to go to God and I get what I want. I, I, I just need to say God sometimes or Jesus sometimes and I'm going to get what I want out of life. And that's how we see this scripture so often that, that I'm willing to trust God, but I, I just want him to do what I want him to do with my life. He doesn't actually have authority. He doesn't actually have rule. He doesn't have dominion. He he really doesn't have control of my life. I just want him around just in case I need him. May it not be for these glorious words are not mere fluff or some catchy 140 character comment or some Facebook post. This is the word of God and, and this is a command to trust in the Lord. These are words that, that we can stake our life on with conviction. Trust in the Lord. These are words that can anchor the soul 
on the, on the stormy seas of life, trust in the Lord. These, these words can, can, can bring us close and help us to draw near and hold firmly to God as we travel over troubled waters. See, but I, and I believe that God wants us to think deeply on this text and the implications, the implications like of, of what does it really mean to trust in the Lord? What does that really mean? So my prayer this morning is that we will see how dependence delivers peace. The context here is this is the Proverbs uh, primarily from, from Solomon and, and, and his desire is to, to teach his sons what wisdom looks like. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, is rightly applied knowledge. Wisdom is not stuff, you just got a bunch of information. It's, it's, it's using that information at the right time, at the right place, and for the right reasons. That's, that's wisdom. See, it's a lot of people who think they know a lot, but they ain't wise at all. They just keep be talking. They just know stuff, information. You're like, I, I didn't care about that, but where did that come from? And they, and they come spouting information and spouting information, but there is no wisdom inside of them. And Solomon wants to help his son along this journey so that he will understand what it means to be wise. And in the first chapter, verse 4, he says, that why he, he writes this, and he says, to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. He says, I'm writing this because you really don't know, not, know much. You're, you're, you're ignorant. You're, uh, you, you don't know a lot about life, so let me teach you something. So this is how we need to approach this passage this morning. But not only that, not only is this a, a, a father's words to his son, but this is a king speaking to the next king. And Solomon is sharing these words to his son because he knows that the sheer weight of being king will crush him if he is not depending upon God. Knowing that the king is responsible for all the commonwealth of Israel, he's responsible for God's chosen people, that he would need something to hold him up so that he's not doing it on his own. How much can we learn from Solomon this morning? Trying to face life's issues on our own, thinking we, we just, if, we, if, we just, if we just hold ourselves together, it's all going to work out because, because we said it can. But the first thing in this passage that I believe that Solomon wants to show his son, he wants to teach him that dependence is defined by trust. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust, trust in, trust in the Lord. Trust, this word trust, it, 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 it has the connotation to attach oneself to, to, to confide in. This is the basic idea. Of, there's a firmness there. This word expresses a, a sense of well-being, knowing that that the results that will happen, uh, the rug won't be put out from under me. Trust, this, it, 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 it lends itself to laying prostrate, flat out on, on top of something, not trying to hold yourself up in any way, shape, fashion, or form, but I'm, I'm, I'm just laid out. Trust. Solomon is, is telling his son, you need to lay out on God. Don't try to prop yourself up. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to do it on your own strength. You need to lay out on top of God because he is the one who upholds the, the, the wise. He is the one. I like, to, I like to put together working definitions and a working definition here for trust is, is a settled confidence in God's ability to work all things out for his glory and your good. Trust. A, a settled, I, I'm, not, I'm not shaky on this at all. I'm settled 
I'm, I'm firm, I'm, I'm in the groove, a settled confidence. I know what God does is right for me. A settled confidence in God's ability. See, having confidence in people, no matter how much they love you, people will fail you. It won't even be intentional. They love you, but they'll fail you. So this trust here, he's, he's telling your son, that don't trust in your advisors. Don't trust in your servants. Don't trust in, 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 in your wives. Don't, don't trust in anybody else, but trust squarely in God. This settled confidence, knowing that God will work all things out for his glory and your good. See, the text doesn't say he's going to work it all out in your favor and make things uh, sweet and, 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 and rainbows and, 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 and unicorns and bubblegum. And it's going to be just happy, fun life all the time. And you're never going to have aches and pains and difficulties and, 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 and trauma. And he, he's saying that even in the midst of a difficult day, that God is still working for his glory and your good. Trust in the Lord. Trust, and implicit in this call to trust in the Lord is an understanding that there will be times in the king's life where a decision of dependence will have to be made. The fact that Solomon is even calling his son to trust in the Lord, as he's laying out there, there will be times where you don't understand what's really going on. There's going to be times in, in your life, son, where it's going to be out of control. You're not going to be able to restrain these forces. You're not going to be able to, to just speak a word and it's going to happen. I know you're king, but sometimes people won't pay attention to you. And son, when those moments come, trust in the Lord. Don't trust what your friends on the street may say. Don't trust what, 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 what the word on the street, what, what, what the Facebook posts are saying this week, what the Twitter uh, time feed is saying. He's saying, don't trust in what you hear. Trust in what you know. And when you know the Lord, you can have a stable, settled confidence in that he knows what he's doing. When you trust in the Lord in this manner, you're able to say things like, we will do such and such and such and such because we trust in God. Not because it makes sense. Not because the numbers add up. Not because it'll work out in my favor. Because sometimes the Lord will cause you to walk into a situation where you actually have to sacrifice all your comfort, all your money, everything, just in order to be obedient to what he's calling you to. Trust in the Lord. For Solomon, to trust in God means to believe in him because of what he has already spoken. You're not believing in something that's far off. You're believing in something that's already there. For Solomon, it was the Torah. It was the the law. God had already spoken to Israel. So for Solomon to say, trust in the Lord, all he is saying is read the book. Read the book and you will know what to do. This is not new knowledge. This this is not something made up. But but read the book. For us, when, when... as we read this, and Solomon is speaking to us, trust in the Lord. He's saying, don't, don't, don't trust in, in, in dreams. You know, don't, don't be going to play your numbers because you had a dream of a cat jumping over a wall. But, but, but trust in what God has already said. Because he has given us 66 books and what his will and desire is for our life already. So I don't have to go to, to, to people in the streets, to my friends, to, to 
the horoscopes to figure out what God's will is for my life. He's given it to me already. I need only to trust that what he said is true. Trust in the Lord. You are sitting in those chairs because you trust them. You, you, when someone says to trust in the Lord, there's, this, there's something in us that say, well, well, hold on, wait a minute. Let, let me think about that. But when we come in and sit down, we give no thought to the fact that that chair is going to hold us up. We just sit down. It's an internal trust. It's, it's, it's something that we've just been doing so long. We know that hey, we know this chair and my spot on Sunday right here, the fourth row off the, yeah, by the beam, that's my spot. That chair is going to hold me. I know that already. This is what Solomon is saying. Son, you... You should already know that you can trust in the Lord. You need only have to look back to a man named Moses. That when he didn't think he had it all together, God just said, go. I'll speak for you. When he said, go get the children of Israel out of Egypt, he just said, go and trust me. When they're getting ready to cross the Red Sea, just just trust me. When they're out in the wilderness, just trust me. When they're over going to the promised land, just trust me. This, this entire nation has this exi- its entire existence based upon the fact that they could trust God. It made no sense for them to be in that land. They were a small nation, but yet they were there because of their trust in God. Are you trusting in God? Are you trying to figure this out? Has not God taken care of you in the past? Can he not continue to take care of you? Can he not do what he's done before for you? Can he not continue to, to, to help you to stand up under the weight of life? Can he not do it? But yet we don't want to trust him. We want to put conditions on it. Solomon calls his son to trust in the Lord because ultimately he knows that his son is going to trust in something. He's going to trust in something. We all trust in something, whether it's the Lord or if it's, it's something or someone else. We, I, I, I may trust in my job to think that it's actually my job that's paying my mortgage. I may be trusting in that bottle because life is so hard and I think that alcohol can only give me relief. I'm, I may trust that woman because I believe that she is the only one that, that, that loves me, but, but we all are trusting in something. Trust in the Lord. He wants him to, to follow what God has said and declared and decreed already. And then, and then he goes on to say, lean not on your own understanding. Uh, the, 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 the context here, there's that trust, you're, you're laying flat, spread. When you're leaning, you kind of, you know, you just kind of take a little weight off. I found it interesting that he says, and lean not, uh, versus trust, because it's almost, it's almost the saying is, You need to be completely laid on me. You don't even want to lean on nothing you know. Even though a lean is subtle, I don't want you doing it. Because subtly, we believe that we can do what we want to do when we want to do it, and we will have success in our own strength. Subtly. Subtly. When that that opening up comes for the job, we get our resume together thinking that how we format it is what's going to determine if we get the job or not. We think that I can walk into school and, and maybe if I just sit next to someone who's smart, I can get a good grade on my test. And, 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 we're, and we're scheming and finagling and figuring things out, and, and, but it's subtle. Trust in the Lord. Because dependence is defined by trust. Not only is dependence defined by trust, but dependence is done fully, verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It's one thing to say you're trusting in the Lord. It's another thing to live as if you're trusting in the Lord. 
And this passage here teaches us that we are trusting in the Lord when we intentionally seek out the will of God for our lives. In all your ways, this is not some of the things you do some of the time, in all your ways. From the time that you get up to the time you sleep in, in all of your ways, you're, you're learning how to trust, how to, to believe what God has said about a situation or circumstance. And what he's calling for is when you face a situation in your life, and, and instead of just making a decision, he wants you to consider what God will want you to consider at this moment. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in all my ways. That means I have to intentionally give thought to what would God want me to do right now? How often do we actually sit when we make a decision? What would God want me to do right now? We don't. We just do it. And then we come back and ask for forgiveness later. We, we just kind of go down the street and, and God is calling you, calling us to check in with him. Check in with him. This is the what you want to do versus what God wants you to do. Does God really want you to buy that bigger house? Or do you just want that bigger house? Does God want you to change jobs? Or do you just want to change jobs? Do Does God want you to be at this school versus that school? Do you have a plan for for your life that you've been planning out all these years and and God is kind of ruining your plans right now? What you want to do versus what God wants you to do. Acknowledge him in all your ways. When when I think about this, this, this this is a wholehearted commitment. I'm all in. I'm all in for God. And it reminds me of the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go before King Nebuchadnezzar because they have not been bowing down to worship the idol. And as Nebuchadnezzar tells them that they need to bow down or that they will be placed in the fiery furnace, they begin to, to respond to the king Nebuchadnezzar saying that they will, they will not bow down, that God is able to deliver them, but if not, God is still good. That's all in. When, when, when it really doesn't matter what, what the outside looks like, I'm, I'm still all in for God. I'm trusting in him with all my heart. Dependence is fully done. It's not halfway. Not only is dependence fully done, but dependence is discovered through humility. Watch verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This passage is, is contrasted with verse 5 where it says trust in. It, it, it just, instead of the positive, it gives the negative. Be not wise in your own eyes. But I like how he puts it here because what he's saying is the, 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 the way that you can tell that you're trusting in God is when you stop trusting yourself. When you stop trying to figure every situation and circumstance out to how it can be resolved in your favor, but how can God be glorified in this decision, in this way, in this manner? That's what he's doing. This, and this, this is incredibly humbling because we, we're proud people. We're full of pride. And, we want that, and, 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 and that's why we argue like we do. And James says, why do you argue? Because your passions are at war inside of you because we want what we want. So it's, it's kind of hard to admit that, man, somebody actually do know what I should do. And someone actually does know better than me. This is Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We think we know better, but we don't. You know that this past year, the Lord has been, has been crushing me in, in, in amazing ways. In amazing, amazing ways, 
This past year, I, I have always prided myself in, in, in being a go-getter, able to do things well in my own strength. But, but God, he, he took me and, and he just crushed all of that to the point where, where I, I, I couldn't get up in the morning. I couldn't do the extra. I couldn't stay late. And just physically, I, I was just so run down. And the Lord was, what he was doing, he was taking every strength that I had and making it a weakness. So when I came out on the other side, I could not say it was me who did it, but the Lord. He's teaching me how to depend on him. What would it look like for you to walk humbly before the Lord? Instead of always having to handle a situation, you know how we be, handle that, just handle that, take care of that. Instead of always having to handle a situation, what would it look like at home if you didn't have to handle that all the time? What would it look like on your job if you didn't have to handle that all the time? What would it look like in your school if you didn't have to handle that all the time? We would see dependence because when we're not trying to handle everything, we're saying, God, you know better. You know better. This kind of reminds me of John the Baptist as Jesus is a across the way, and he had been baptizing. His disciples look over and say, hey, Jesus over there baptizing. What you think about Jesus over there baptizing? Should it, shouldn't, don't Jesus know that we've been baptizing first? And then John goes on to say, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Humility. Able to walk low in order that God will get all glory. Dependence is discovered through humility. But then lastly, in the text, what it lays out in verse 8 is that Dependence delivers peace. Dependence delivers peace. We may be tempted to ask, why should I trust in the Lord? Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Not only is there great comfort in trusting God, but there also is great care when we trust in God. If we trust in him with deep conviction, if we trust in him uh, and turn away from self-confidence, if we trust in him and turn from doing things our own way, God is promising that he will take care of you. That's where the rubber meets the road. We're trying to handle that because we're trying to take care of our lives. But God is saying, trust me and I will take care of you. Make straight. When you look at verse 6 and he says he will make straight your paths, this is not, this is two aspects. Yes, God will uh, lead you down the right path for life. He will help you make the right decisions at the right time. But what it's also saying in this phrase, make straight your paths, that not only will he show you where to go, but he's going to remove every obstacle out of your way as you go. He's removing obstacles. When we come to a wall, we want to go around. When God comes to a wall, he says, get out of the way. He is removing the difficulties. He's removing the hurdles. He is making straight your path. And the same here in verse 8 where it says, healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones, two aspects. Yes, there is a physical benefit to being obedient to God. Yes, you will have long life. Yes, your way may be a little more prosperous and, you, and, and, and things will, will seem to go well and not be so chaotic, but what he's talking about here is shalom. Peace. Peace. Perfect peace. A right standing before God and man where your soul is not, is not cast down because you've been doing things your own way. Peace, wholeness, that's what God wants to deliver to us. Dependence delivers peace. So how do we do this? How do we do this? 
How do we surrender our will to God and find rest in his comfort and care? See, herein lies the problem. We can't. We won't. The fundamental reason why we trust ourselves is because we want control. Whereas trusting means I have to give up control. See, in reality, the problem uh, we have is, 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 is with a text like this because it calls for us to give our entire lives over to God with reckless abandonment. This, this, this is an issue of dominion. We want dominion over our own lives, though God never gave us that responsibility. Turn with me to Genesis right quick. Let's get through this right quick. In Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26 through 28, God creates man. Then he, well, he's creating man, but then he gives him some responsibilities. He says, then, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And watch this. He said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when God created man, he gives man dominion over the earth and over the animals. Dominion, control over the earth and the animals. But watch this. What does God get? In chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then he goes down, verses 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God creates man, gives him dominion over the animals and the land, God creates, and he has, he has dominion over creation and over man. See, the reason why the tree is there is just like the animals shot up, and, and, and Adam was able to look at the animals and says, I have dominion over them. Now, Adam will be able to look at the tree of life and says, he has dominion over me. The tree is in the garden to remind man who has ultimate authority and who has ultimate control. Adam, I know I've given you everything here for you to have. I be fruitful and multiply and enjoy yourself, Adam. But let me remind you, you're still mine. Don't eat of this tree. One command. That, that, oh, that's all God needs to do, give us one command to remind us that he's in control. He's in control. That he's in charge. That he is the supreme authority. Don't eat of the tree. Why? Because I have dominion over you. We want to cultivate ourselves instead of cultivating uh, the responsibilities that God has given us. And we don't want God cultivating us. And this is what happens in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, instead of allowing God to have dominion over themselves, they decide that they want to be God and they want dominion over themselves. They want control. The ultimate issue with why we got so many trust issues is because we want control. And God is not giving us control because we are his, created for his glory, because this is his creation. In your own strength, you would never trust God. In your own strength, we would always lean on our own understanding. And if, and if you... And if you ever believed that you could actually do this, may I suggest you look at Solomon's own sons. Because in 1 Kings, the 12th chapter, it talks about Rehoboam. After Solomon dies, Rehoboam comes to the throne. And the people come to him and say, can, can you help us out a little bit? 
the taxes been kind of high. You know, it's been kind of tough. You know, we've been paying for all this stuff that y'all got. Can you give a brother a break? And Rehoboam, at a moment where he needs to be considering the people of God as king, he considers himself. And upon bad advice, instead of taking the wise wisdom from the older people, he takes the wisdom, he takes the foolishness from the young folks, and, 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 and they, they cause a, a rift to occur in Israel. Because he failed to make a decision based upon dependence on God. Romans 3 tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Since sin has entered into the world, we, we're, we're all broken and, 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 and we all are rebelling against God. And we are setting up lives centered around ourselves. See, this is sin and this is rebellion and this behavior separates us from God. What are we to do? Where are we to turn? To whom do we look to this morning? Though we fail to trust the Lord, there is one who has trusted in the Father with all his heart. There is one who has not leaned on his own understanding. There is one who has centered his life around the will of the Father, and his name is Jesus. Jesus perfectly fulfills every command, every demand of dependence. Jesus, the one who says, I can do nothing on my own because I, I, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, the one who says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, and unlike Adam and Eve who failed to trust the Lord when faced with the decision of dependence in the Garden of Eden. See, but glory be to God that there was another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in his most agonizing moment, when faced with that decision that had all of our lives and all of our souls at stake, instead of doing what he wanted, he considered the will of the Father and said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, this decision in Gethsemane is a king-like decision. The weight of the world is on his shoulders. Our eternal destiny is hanging in the balance. But yet Jesus has a settled confidence in God's ability to work all things for his glory and his good. And he knew in Gethsemane that God had a plan and that this plan had him going to Calvary's cross, walking down Golgotha's road, and that this plan would have him being lifted high and stretched wide. This plan had him receiving nails in his palms, nails in his wrists, and nails in his feet, and that this plan would cause him to have to be buried in a grave. But he also knew that God has his best interest at heart and that he fully trusted in the Father, realizing that though he may be dead for three days, all power would be given to him to wake him back up on the third day. Jesus trusted in God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and because of Jesus, we can trust God too. When we trust in Jesus, we trust in God. So now, by grace through faith, we trust in God when we trust in Jesus. Dependence is defined by trust. Dependence is done fully. Dependence is discovered through humility. Dependence delivers peace. What does God, what does dependence on God look like in your life today? How has self-confidence created independence rather than dependence? What has God called you to trust him with this morning? What has God called you to trust him for this morning? 
What an incredible confidence we have today through trusting in Jesus. You know, wisdom says that if a bet was ever to be made over whether God knew what was best or we knew what was best, wisdom would say, I take God 100% of the time. I take that bet. Wisdom always looks to the Father because he knows what he's doing. What good news we have. What good news, this, this good news that life with God under the rule of God is available to all who would turn from their rebellion and trust in King Jesus. What good news we have that through faith in Jesus' perfect life, death for our sins, and victorious resurrection from the dead, we are justified and reconciled to God. What good news it is to know that we have God's wonderful acceptance of us, not because we have earned it or uh, or deserved it, but because he gives it freely at Christ's expense. What does it mean to trust in God today? It means to believe what God has said about Jesus and to rest on it. Will you wave the white flag today? Will you surrender, doing things your way today? For the one who does not know Christ as Savior, you've been living life for yourself and for your glory. And God is saying that there is a time coming where he will crush those who are living an act of rebellion against him who care nothing about his word, who care nothing about trusting him. Would you turn from yourself and turn to Jesus and trust him today? For the, for the saint who, is, who has just been doing life, how they feel, how they think they should, will you trust Christ today? Will you wave the white flag? Would you surrender? Would you give up? Would you say, Lord, not my way, but yours, your way? Christ is calling a people to himself. But this people is a dependent people. It's a needy people. It's a people who trust in the Lord with all their heart. At least not on their own understanding. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, your word has went forth. Father, I pray that as you have called us to trust in you, that someone will trust in you for eternal, eternal life this day. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in someone's heart in such a way that they will see that they've been doing life on their own and for themselves and that it's, it's going to lead to disaster. It's going to lead to chaos. They will continue to be under the burden of sin for their entire life. May they humble themselves and trust in you today. Father, I pray for Forest Baptist Church, Lord, as we, as we walk out these Christian lives, Lord. Uh, Father, forgive us for wanting to do things ourselves the way we want to do it not according to your word, not according to your will, not according to your way. Father, we ask that you have mercy on us, Lord, but that we will repent, we will turn from ourselves and turn to Jesus today. Father, we, we, we admit and we, we acknowledge that we have no power to, to, to trust in you, but by, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have already accomplished everything through his blood. And that when we trust in Jesus, Lord, it's as if we were trusting you wholly. Father, may you continue to move mightily over this worship service. May we be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. For your glory and namesake, we do pray. Amen.